Hey, time for another edition of Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. I am Lance Taylor from the next round. It is on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe. Very important. Give us that thumbs up. It is always brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, mybookie.ag, where they've got player props, they've got sides, totals, everything this Thanksgiving holiday. You can get it right there 24-7 at your fingertips, mybookie.ag. Put in the promo code next round. They're going to hook you up and check out with a big-time bonus at mybookie.ag. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Uh, it you is? Deal, yeah, you don't have to deal with the presents uh, or the, the, the headache of the presents, all the stress of Christmas. Um, <laughs> it's, it's in, it's out, it's family, it's friends, it's eating, it's drinking, it's football. I absolutely love it. You love it because you just remember being in school and knowing that you got Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday off. That's, That's true, man. <laughs> hey, I, I was telling you, know, my boys are off right now, and I'm like, you guys just embrace and enjoy this because there's going to be a day in time you know, for what you and I do for a living, and we'll right. get to your game in a little bit, you'll actually be on a call on Friday, on Black Friday. We'll be doing the show on Black Friday because of the Iron Bowl. And, look, we're doing what we love to do for a living, so it's not that big of a deal. But there was something nostalgic about getting that entire week off and just I laying know. around and just eating so much just, just to the point of gluttony and uh, watching movies and sports, man. It was just yeah. awesome. And finding a wet, muddy field to go play football in with your boys. <laughs> Much yeah. football on Thanksgiving, man. Let's go. Uh, how have we been chaos-free? I mean, it just seems impossible with – because the crazy thing, Logan, Bill, we, we had a moment in time – or not even a moment in time, a long time – where yeah. you had such a top-heavy sport and you had dominance by four or five programs, and now it seems like we've got – and those four or five programs are pretty much still up there, but it seems like we've got so much more balance with the transfer portal in NIL – and this year, we're just not getting those massive upsets. Yeah, we're not. But I wouldn't count it out just yet because I think we're due, right? I mean, there, something is going to happen. Who's it going to happen to? Will it matter um, in terms of uh, is, is a team that gets upset actually in the, the college football playoff or New Year's Six picture? I don't know. I think really, to be honest with you, one of the reasons why we haven't had a ton yet is like outside of the Jordan Travis injury to Florida State, we haven't had like marquee players on premier teams go down to injury. Like everybody seems to be playing with their best players on the field for the vast majority, if not all of the season, every week outside of Texas didn't have Quinn yours for two weeks. But um, I think teams are healthy. They seem to be focused. And I think the other thing too, is the teams that we're looking at to say, okay, well, who's going to upset them? Like somebody, is anybody good enough to upset them? Like, like literally, like is is I think Ohio State's good enough to upset uh, Michigan, okay? But like, who's good enough to upset Alabama? Right? I get that, but I mean, look back you know? at some of the games. So Florida State, you were on that BC call. Yeah, I mean, BC had every opportunity to beat them. Well, they should have um, lost to Clemson too. Yeah, Kansas State should have beaten Texas. I wow. mean, terrible play calling there, first and goal at the four. Um, I'm just jumping around Michigan to Maryland this past week. Maryland had yeah. the ball down five multiple times. You know, just in the past, a lot of those games come to fruition and they they right. complete the upset. And we just haven't seen it. And I look at the schedule this week. You're going to be in Austin for Texas Tech, Texas. If that game was in Lubbock, if the Apple Cup was in Pullman, if yes. the Civil War was in Corvallis, I think going into this weekend, we'd be like, damn, man, we might get one, two or three massive upsets. Do you still kind of feel that way about the Pac-12, though? Like, I, I kind of 
like, God, it's just, I don't know, man. I, I, I could see it. I know they're not in the right location because I totally agree with you on that front. Um, and, you know, the one thing I'll say, and I've got the game, so i got to be careful what I do say, but, like, the one thing about Texas is they just find ways to win, right? Not always pretty. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing last year, I think they had five, their five losses or four losses were by seven or less. And this year, they have flipped the script and they're winning those really close games. Yeah, I mean, one possession games, winning on the road. I mean, that was a TCU recipe a year ago, and now they can't win any one possession games. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to carry it over, and, and they have been able to do that. But the one thing Texas hasn't been able to do, they haven't been able to put their foot on somebody's throat and finish them. Like, do you remember what the score of that Kansas State game was? What oh, yeah. the score of that TCU we're, game was? Yeah, those games were um, over. Right. Uh, the Rice game, the Wyoming game. Um, you know, really, Baylor's the only team where they just lined up and throttled them. I had that game, too. I'm, I'm like, we're the official spokes crew of Texas <laughs> Longhorn football. This is our fourth time having them, so know them pretty good. But uh, I still think there's an opportunity for chaos. I, I really do. I just um, I feel like we're due, and it may just come out of nowhere and happen to somebody, and you're just like, no way. No way. And then that's how it generally happens. Yeah, and it, and it also happens on, you know, the uh, conference championship weekends. I mean, last year, it looked like Caleb Williams and USC couldn't be stopped, you know, the first couple of drives against Utah, and then Utah ends up blowing them out. And if the uh, fact of the matter, they didn't deserve to be there, but if UFC would have won that game, they would have been in the college football playoff. Yeah. So them losing opened a spot up. So I do think over the next couple of weeks, we probably get that. But sticking with the Pac-12, you mentioned them, and – Two coaches, Dan Lanning and Caleb DeBoer, are doing incredible jobs in year two. Yeah. Jed Fish in year three is doing oh. even a more masterful job with Arizona. But in year two, it just didn't work out for Lincoln Riley and USC. And say what you want about the schedule. Uh, you know, Oregon and, 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 and Washington had to navigate those schedules too. Wasn't that. You've got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, and you go from 11-1 and one in the regular season to 7-5. and five. There is something going on internally. There are people that are saying this job is too big. I don't agree with that. It did seem like something was missing. We know Alex Grinch is out, but looking at the recruiting rankings, I think uh, depending on where you shop at USC is between 15th and 20th, which I don't know. Does that mean that Lincoln Riley is going to lean heavily on the portal again? His portal, he had some bad misses this past year. I just don't know overall what's going on there. Well, I mean, if you look at the, the roster, and again, you know, I was the idiot that said, Colorado has a bad roster. No. Bad roster? Yeah, I don't think Colorado's going bowling this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, just, just letting you know, they've taken on a lot of water. Yeah, where, my timeline's all of a sudden certainly yeah. clear. Hey, it's I'm weird. telling you, AtlantisLock.com, when I win, nobody says anything. When I lose, <laughs> I mean, it's a shit storm. I mean, we oh, know how man. it works. It works one way. It doesn't work the other. It's fine. I know it. I know it. Um. But I would say the same thing about SC. They got no players on defense, man. And it's it pains me to say that. Somebody that grew up the son of a former Pac-8 and Pac-10 coach on the West Coast, you know, SC was this monument, right? They were the model of what college football teams looked like, and they looked pretty on the hoof. They were great in the uniform. They had dudes everywhere, and they were built up front and just All-American after All-American. If you saw them in a uniform on defense, you would say there is no way that is USC. There is no – they are so bad on defense. And here's the problem. 
is remember I was saying all last year how bad SC was on defense, and if they because they have Caleb Williams and they were plus twenty two in turnover margin, it masked everything. Well, guess what? They're minus three in turnover margin, and Caleb Williams cannot save them. Yep. So, as good as he is, it was bound to catch up with them. And the transfer portal additions that they made at the skill spots, good players, players that can help you. The three freshman wide receivers that they've got, Zach Branch, Deuce Robinson, and uh, I'm missing the third one, uh, Makai Lemon. Um, actually, they got a fourth one, too. Really, really good players. They don't have any linemen. Like, if you go back and watch the UCLA game this past weekend, they had one of their offensive linemen get hurt. They insert this true freshman at guard. And Leatu Lato absolutely ate his lunch. And I'm like, this guy is playing for USC? I mean, it was embarrassing. And I, as good of a play caller and as good of an offensive football coach and as good of a quarterback coach as, as Lincoln Riley is, there is something really wrong internally because there's no plan – it doesn't seem like there's any plan to correct it. There's no plan to fix it or how are we going to address this? And, and, and if we are going to address it, what's the blueprint? There's none to speak of right now. And it's sad to watch that team. I'm telling you, man, it is eye-popping. Did you know that since the Utah loss in the Pac-12 championship game, Lincoln Riley's 7-7? Seven and seven. Yeah. Started off 11-1. Yeah. and one. They're now 7-7. Seven and seven. I heard that this past week in the uh, Victory Bell game, and, and that is just – it's mind-boggling because I didn't know how good they would be. I thought that they would be much improved. I know it was going to be tough to navigate that Pac-12 schedule, but I am just blown away at where they are right now. And, you know, the misperception for the Pete Carroll days was it was all offense. His defenses were top-five scoring defense every Absolutely. single year. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean – Absolutely. They were lights out. Do um, you think Dorian Singer, the Arizona transfer, is kicking himself in the ass when you watch what Arizona's doing right now? And on the other side, he really wasn't involved. Brendan Rice ended up – Brendan Rice and Todd Washington were the go-tos. And Dorian yeah. Singer just never fit in. No, he just – he couldn't that, – that depth chart, I will say this, that depth chart at SC for the offensive skill, even Marshawn Lloyd, the running back, they're really good. Now, they're not very good up front, and that's where Caleb makes them right, right? Um, but I'm not kidding around. They would be three and nine without him, probably. And if you looked at their schedule next year, they play yeah, yeah. the Big Ten schedule, Notre Dame and LSU out of conference. They still got some other Pac-12 foes that are coming with them that they've got to play. So UCLA's games remaining intact. Like with no Caleb, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, hey, well, who would be your your Pac-12 coach of the year right now? Because obviously, Lanning has got an incredible thing going right now at Oregon. DeBoer is still undefeated. And then I mentioned Jed Fish in year number three to go from 1-11 and 11 to where they are right now. I don't think anybody wants to play that team. Like, if you were to tell Oregon or Washington, you've got to play Arizona. And I know there's still an outside shot that Arizona uh, – well, there's not. Oh, I guess there is. There is. There's, yeah, there is a scenario. But if you were to tell those teams you got to play that team, I don't think they want to play them. Right, exactly. But you could also say, say to any team in America, do you want to play Oregon right now? All right. No, nope. yeah. <laughs> but I, that would be my coach of the year. Uh, and listen, I understand that that's a different measuring stick for everybody. Everybody, you know, has their criteria for it. But when you were just three short years ago, by far the worst team in the league, the worst team in the league, and then flipped the thing so quickly, and their quarterback got hurt. Remember, they had the they had the transfer from Washington yeah, Jayden State, Jaden Delora. Delora. Yeah. Now they got a freshman, and 
And they've and got by a the way, good skill. Is he going to be able to keep him? I know. See, that's yeah. the other part in all of this. And and it's just it's a free-for-all for everybody. Now, you develop a good player. You have a great player. And now, all of a sudden, you're having to pay your own players to stay in the program, right? And can you, right? Like, that's the other thing is not all these programs are created equal. Yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that Arizona's NIL is even close to what you've got with Oregon and Washington. And obviously, oh I'll tell you the other thing. I'll tell you the other thing, too, about name, image, and likeness. Is that a school like USC, it's going to start hurting them if it's all about the Flash and the Hollywood and the L.A. and, and all of that stuff. Because I'm telling you, there are going to be players that do not care about playing football and do not love playing football. Highly touted guys, guys that everybody was recruiting. And that's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them big time. Yeah, I got to be honest. If I had a kid that was going to play major college football and he had an opportunity to play at USC and, I don't know, throw somebody else out there, Ohio State, I just feel like the commitment to football, the on-field product, is much greater at other places right now. Now, hopefully that culture will change. We yeah. shall see. But right now, you know, we had Brock Hewitt on, and he was like, man, I was outside the locker room, and it was all about, you know, Gucci and Louie. It wasn't exactly. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily about winning football games. I know. And so that, that's going to end up getting caught, catching up with Colorado, too. And, yeah, and, okay. and other teams as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, college football playoff rankings out. Uh, there was only one flip, and it was Oregon and Florida State. And I, or excuse Washington me, Washington Florida and Florida State. State. Yeah. And I don't think it had anything to do with the injury to Jordan Travis. I think this was an easy decision for the committee based on the win in Corvallis. Michael Penix, the numbers weren't there. But if you watch the game, he was so impressive Dude. with those conditions. Those Have 11 you ever seen a quarterback ball. throw a wet ball like that ever? No, no. No, so apparently no. the word on the street is he has between 11 and 11 and a half inch hands. Every cold weather team in the league is going to be coming after him. Yep. He threw that ball like it was bone dry. I've never seen anything like that. And you're right. Statistically, it wasn't just eye popping thing, but that is a tough place to play against a good football team. And so the resume just popped him over Florida State. I don't think it had anything to do with the Jordan Travis injury. Yeah, but now that you do have that injury, and and I think this game would be a little more interesting with Graham Mertz. I don't know anything about Max Brown. I just don't. Um, but now we've got backup quarterbacks. And, and it's still an opportunity for Florida. They're only a six-and-a-half-point underdog in the swamp. Uh, I thought it was going to be a great game with the starting quarterbacks, probably a great game with the backup quarterbacks. But do you think this is one of those moments we get a little chaos and we get one of the undefeateds that goes down? I know it makes the committee's job a lot easier if Florida State yeah. loses this game. Yes, it does. And, and you know, are they going to look the same as they did with Jordan Travis? No. It, does the does the playbook change? No. The game plan might change a little bit. Um, you know, what do you trust with Tate Rodemaker? Uh, what is he comfortable with doing? That may be something that's different than what Jordan Travis was comfortable doing. So there might be a little bit of a, a different approach from that perspective, but you're on the road. Remember, this is a guy that, came off the bench and beat Louisville on the road. If you remember that a couple of years ago, as they were trying to flip this roster and get on track. And it was a huge win for the program. And when he's played, he's played well. He played well against UNA when he came into the game. Um, I'm one of those people that feel like I don't care if they win on Saturday, 16 to 13. I don't care if they win or Friday, whenever that game is. I don't care if they win in the ACC championship, 17, 14. If you're 13 and 0 and you're the ACC champ and you had to do the two toughest games, Without your starting quarterback, you're in. There ain't no way they're letting them out. I just don't I don't think so. Everybody's saying, well, they got to look really, really good. No, they don't. 
I don't think I don't think that's true at all. I, well, I really don't. I, I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just if if you put me on that committee, I am going eye test. And I believe right now your best teams are Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon's right there. Um, so you know, Oregon or excuse me, Oklahoma or excuse me, geez, Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan's going to take care of itself. Sure. But here becomes the biggest dilemma to me, and we've still got weeks for this thing to play out. If yeah. Alabama, and I think they've got a really good shot at beating Georgia the way they're playing. Now, Georgia's out of this world when they want to play. I know what you're going to say. If Alabama beats Georgia, how in the hell do you drop Georgia to five? Like, I can't do it. I can't see Georgia win 29 consecutive games, back national championships, and then lose to a hot-ass Alabama team and put them out? That's impossible. Well, the thing that's crazy about it is – how do you not do that if Washington's undefeated and Ohio State or Michigan is undefeated and Florida State is undefeated and you'd have a one-loss Georgia that's not the conference champ? And Texas like, is the one-loss conference champ. And Texas team. sitting there, too, holding yeah. the Alabama card. And you, it, I agree with you. Like, dude, you lose that game to Alabama. You are one of the four best teams in college football still. But the problem is the records in the conference championships of the other teams could literally prevent it. I mean, yeah. But what would you do if you were on that committee? And one day you might be on that committee. Who knows? Yeah. Um, oh. I, I mean, to me, if it really is about the four best teams, I want to give people the best product. There might yeah. be some Georgia fatigue out there. But I mean, hell, Kirby has built the model program right now. He has. I mean, if we're going to say there's Alabama fatigue, or uh, then and we're probably creeping up on Georgia fatigue too. I. I don't honestly, I don't know what I do because I'm a lot like you in the sense that I do place a lot on the eye test. I do, you know, I, I stood on that field on the sugar bowl, right in the sugar bowl. And I watched Alabama and Kansas state pregame warm up, and it was varsity versus JV. I'm sorry. It, yeah. it, it was. And that was the team that beat TCU to win the big 12. Now Alabama had their opportunity at last year. Didn't play well enough a couple of times. So they didn't get in. Were they one of the four best teams in college football? Absolutely, they were. And so I would hate to see that if you are in the scenario you outlined right there, if you are Georgia and that happened, you need Oregon to win, right? You need Florida State to lose. Yep. So that would give you your best shot. Okay, so Thanksgiving week, uh, again, you're going to be at that game in Gainesville. No, excuse me, you're no. going to be at uh, Austin. Austin. The, the yeah. Friday game, Texas Tech and Texas 6.30 ABC. Thanksgiving in your house, uh, I know it's it's all over the place because of what you do for a living, but even yeah. more so when you were a player and the son of a coach. I mean, what was Thanksgiving like back in the Luganville <laughs> household back in the day? It was one of those um, – it was one of those holidays that no matter what, my dad would make sure he was he was home on that day from the afternoon on. So, like, let's just say you ate at 2 p.m. or whatever it was. He would have been home by noon every single time. Um, uh, and then they would travel out the next day where, wherever they were going. Um, Christmas, I'd uh, get him. We'd get him, me and my twin sister. We would get him usually from the 23rd to the 26th. That was, that was about it. Um, was, was he – I mean, and I hate to ask personal questions, but no. was he engaged? You know, I mean – you know, for for a football coach, that time of year, man, I mean, because you've got so many things going on. You're wrapping up a season. You're figuring out the roster for the next year. You're getting ready to recruit. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. 
He was absolutely engaged. And I think one of the reasons why he was so engaged, and I can't speak, again, I have a twin sister. I can't speak for her. She was never in athletics. I was heavily involved in athletics. But just like myself with my son right now, you know, my son is going to be playing in the quarterfinals this weekend of the North Carolina State uh, playoffs. They're the number one seed. If he wins this week, I will get to see him play in the semifinals next week because our crew has off on championship weekend. And that will be the fourth time in four years I've ever gotten to see him play. So that's how my upbringing was. So if I had a high school game on Friday night, unless somebody on my team or the team I was playing was getting recruited, he and his coaches were out on the road recruiting at Friday night. They were at other games. So when he did have those opportunities to be at home, I mean, it's not that you, you don't turn football off, but he was very family engaged. And I, and I think that's why. Now, I'll be the first one to say that he was a bit unique growing up in the sense that he never forced athletics on me, never forced the sport of football. It was always like, hey, this is the world we're living in. If you want to come and hang out in the coach's office, by all means. If you want to come out and, and spend a training camp with us and sleep in the dorm with the players, by all means. But if you want to go play the flute, you got to want to go play the guitar, you want to go to the beach and go surfing all day, you do that too. That's fine. It's probably one of the reasons why I loved it because I was never forced to love it. It was never shoved down my throat. It was always my choice. Um, so holidays, yeah, man, holidays were big. Um, his uh, birth, my dad's birthday just turned 77 last week, healthy, doing really good. Um, and it's funny because we were talking about the Pac-12 today and I had SC and UCLA and you know, sometimes you know, he was the defensive coordinator at Arizona State in the late 70s all the way up through the mid-80s. And at that time, Arizona State was what people would want Arizona State to be now. They were a top 10 program. Uh, and he he looks at, like, SC now. And he watches. He's just like, I cannot believe my eyes. I, I can't. I never in a million years would have fathomed that this is what SC would look like. So, no, I had – let me tell you something, man. There's nothing better – than growing up the son of a, of a coach. The things that you get to do and the things that you get to experience, dude. Did you get never, free gear I'll, all the time? Free gear all the time. You always had the best Halloween costume because you had a legitimate, full-blown, real <laughs> uniform with a real helmet and real pads. And um, and uh, probably my, my, my greatest father-son moment with my dad. Well, number one, I got to work for him twice. He actually worked for me once, right before I got out of coaching. But probably our best moment was my sophomore year in junior college. We won our last game of the year. We were 11-0. and 0. We were the number one ranked team in the country. We're getting ready to play for the junior college national championship. And at that time, he had not been able to see a single game that I played in in junior college because we played on Saturdays and not Fridays. So he didn't get to see a single, a single game. It's Monday, I don't know, early afternoon before practice. The trip to get to where I was going to junior college at Palomar College is in North County, San Diego, and San Diego State's in South Downtown, San Diego. Traffic and everything probably would have taken him maybe two hours to get up there. So I come out of class and walking towards the locker room, and I see him walking down the hallway at me. And it's Monday, and he walks up to me and he says, "Well, son, I've got good news and bad news." They fired me today, but I get to watch your game on Saturday. Wow. And uh, so he got to see one game of my junior college career, and uh, it was for the national championship, and we won it. And uh, so it's pretty, pretty cool. 
Awesome. I was, you know, I'm a really, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. Yeah. But I tell this story because it matters in the world that I'm living in with so many of these kids I see coming up today. I was a really good athlete and a very, very good high school player, but I was vastly undersized and I was underdeveloped. I played running back, quarterback, and wide receiver. Nobody recruited me at all. And I told my dad, I said, I want to play quarterback and I want to play quarterback in college. He goes, well, if you don't want to do that, this is what I would recommend you do. Go to junior college and see what happens. Two years later, we were 21 and one with a national championship. I was a two-time All-American and I left junior college football as the all-time leading passer in the history of junior college football nationally. A record wow. that lasted, a record that lasted almost 10 years. And the guy that almost broke it but didn't was Steve Sarkeesian. Wow, before he <laughs> transferred out to BYU? Yeah, before he transferred out to BYU. He was one year behind me. So, But anyway, make a long story short, I got about an inch taller. I gained some weight. I developed as a passer. And in two short years, I had my pick of pretty much anywhere I wanted to go. And I was an academic qualifier, so I had no restrictions. And it just goes to show you, like, there's late bloomers all the time. There's a reason why Kurt Warner's go to Northern Iowa and Ben Roethlisberger's go to Miami of Ohio. It's, it's, there, there's not enough coaches, there's not enough programs out there to see everybody, right? And you're going to make decisions, and you're going to make the right decisions, and you're going to make the wrong decisions. And I just flat out wasn't recruited. So, like, I have a real appreciation for, like, those late bloomers that are coming out of high school and they get frustrated. And, you know, this was all before the Internet. You know, it was all before any of that stuff. And uh, so, you know, you had magazines and, like, recruiting, uh, like, lists of top players and things of that nature. And that was it. But, um, yeah, but my, my journey to play was one that was probably pretty improbable, you know. And I ended up becoming a four-year starter at three different levels. Um, and had a, a, a wonderful time. I couldn't have asked for anything more. He is ESPN's uh, and also two-time All-American, JUCO All-American, right. Tom Luganbill. <laughs> and a junior college Hall of Famer, by the way. How about that? Where is the me JUCO Hall of Fame, by the way? Me and Jim Fossil. Me and Jim Fossil went in the same year. <laughs> okay, where, where is the, uh, the the JUCO Hall of Fame? Uh, I think it's, ba it's Bakersfield or Fresno. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's brought to you by Lanceslock.com. Every league, every game, they've got it up. Uh, or we've got plays on it, Lanceslock.com. We've got a big holiday uh, season uh, package for you. We've also got a bowl package coming up, so go to Lanceslock.com. Check that out. We also talk entertainment here on Spitting Lugs. Fargo yeah. the movie was fantastic in 1996. The Coen brothers did an incredible job with that. But FX has done a really good job of having these one-off seasons of Fargo. The first one, Billy Bob Thornton, uh, yeah. was was the uh, lead in that, and the newest season, season five, just dropped. I got to John watch about Hamm, ten right? minutes of it. Yeah, John Hamm, uh, Juno Temple, uh, one of the She's kids great. from um, uh, Stranger Things. Okay. But it looks it looks extremely odd, like most of these Fargos are. But have you watched some of the other Fargos? I watched the first season, and I just got off of it. I don't know why, but I never watched anything. I have to catch up. But I've seen a ton of ads for this new one, and and I think John Hamm's great, and I'm, he is I'm, great. I am interested in it. Like I'm I'm interested because they all are some form of a murder mystery, right? Yep. I mean, they're quirky and strange, but and, and it's they're still all based up in Minnesota or Wisconsin, right? Yeah, and all based okay. loosely on a true story. Okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, I definitely want to get back in on it now. Fargo the movie, I absolutely love. But I'm a little bit hit or miss on 
Cohen Cohen, Brothers movies. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I am. Like, I thought the Big Lebowski was overrated. Yeah. Uh, I thought it's o good, Brother, but it's overrated. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? I thought was overrated. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I like movies like Blood Simple, uh, Fargo, the True Grit roommate, uh, remake. How about was, no Country for Old Men? I love that. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's one of those. If I see something in the theater more than once and I saw it twice, yeah. I love it. So let me ask you this question about that movie, because I thought that movie went 15 seconds too long in the sense that the last scene, I know, sorry if I'm giving anything away, the last scene should have been him walking down the sidewalk with the, the arm all broken, fade to black. I didn't understand the whole Tommy Lee Jones thing at the very end. Like I thought yeah. it was unnecessary. I did um, too. And it really confused a lot of people because it was obviously open interpretation on what actually happened. Was he right. in the hotel room? So yeah, I agree. I think it would have been better after the car wreck if he just walks off. Yeah. If he walks off now, I will say a movie that I thought was great and it's not like your typical Coen brothers movie was the remake of true grit was awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Right. That was yeah. really good. So, yeah, I, I like, you know, but see, I'm the same way with on Coen Brothers movies that I am with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, there's like the grindhouse stuff I wasn't a fan of. I mean, it, it, it stuff's good. I don't I don't know. Like, I mean, I like it. I just don't know if I love any of it. Um, I had to see Pulp Fiction like five times before I really like resonated with that. Okay. Well, it, 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 it hit early for me, but there are a couple of Tarantinos I could take or leave. Um so Thanksgiving, though, there are two movies I always have to watch on Thanksgiving that I relate okay. to Thanksgiving, and that's Sin of a Woman, which we've talked about before, oh, and then so Planes, good. Trains, and Automobiles. Automobiles. So girlfriend has never seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So really? we're going to watch that this Thanksgiving. Looking forward to that. That's a classic. Is there is there a certain Thanksgiving movie out there for you? So probably not a certain Thanksgiving movie. I don't think so. Um, but I will say this, because I'm going to be by myself tomorrow. Um, we had gotten permission to come in on Friday on the day of the game if we could get in earlier enough, and my, the flights didn't work out for me. So I got to go in tomorrow, so I'll be by myself. I'm thinking about just going and seeing um, either the holdover. You should. You told me about. Okay. Seen it twice or, now. And, oh, really? and Okay. Yeah, and John Lunsford, one of our resident guys here, big movie guy, said it's the second best movie he's seen this year. Wow, okay. Yeah. All right, so I'm thinking about either doing that or seeing Napoleon. I wanted to see Napoleon. I love Ridley Scott. I think Joaquin Phoenix is incredible. I think his best work ever wasn't as Joker. I thought it was as uh, Commodus in okay. Gladiator, yeah, Gladiator under Ridley Scott. And I thought it was actually a good cast. You know, our boy Ryan Brown was like, this is it makes no sense, Joaquin Phoenix. And I was like, kind of makes sense to me. But I read the reviews on it. It's sitting at a 66% on the tomato really? meter. Yeah, it's like three-plus hours long. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still going right. to see it. I just don't know if I'm going to carve enough time to see it. All right, so I got a new show that I've started. We're only two episodes in, and I think it's going to turn into something really, really good. It's on Hulu. It's an FX show with Clive Owen, and it's uh, called uh, Murder at the End of the World. It. Couldn't find it the other night because I thought it was on FX. I was going to my FX on demand, and girlfriend tells me last night, dumbass, it's on Hulu. So, but it is an FX show. That's what's It is. Yeah, so uh, I am all in on this. So, like, this weekend like around it. football, I'm going to catch up on Fargo, and I'm watching Murder at the End of the World. It looks really cool. I'm two episodes in, and you got it. It jumps back and forth in time with the female lead of of her childhood, and then her like teenage years, and then being an adult. And I don't want to give too much away because I really don't know how it's going to play out. But it looks like it's going to be something that's it's a little odd, it's a little different. But I think it's going to be it's got you guessing. So okay. I'm only two episodes in. 
Okay, all in. Uh, not only football here, we talk food, we talk entertainment. It's Spitting Lugs, ESPN's Tom Luganbill, also in the Juco, a Juco National Hall of Fame. Look, <laughs> have a great Thanksgiving, man. Uh, I'm I excited will. to get to see your son play. Hopefully they yeah. win this weekend and you'll be able to check that out. Have fun on your way to Austin. Be safe. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks, man. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yeah, that's ESPN's Tom Luganbill here on Spitting Lugs, brought to you by our friends at mybookie.ag. Put in that promo code next round. They're going to hook you up at checkout all Thanksgiving weekend at mybookie.ag.